Chapter eighteen of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter eighteen. It may be imagined that Rose Lake was not the only person who looked forward with excitement to the evening of this Thursday, which was to be, properly speaking, the Archdeacon's first appearance in Carlingford. To be sure, he had dined at the rectory, and also at Sir John Richmond's. Besides that, there had been somebody to dinner at Colonel Chiley's table almost every day. But then there were only county people at Sir John's, and Mr. Bury's guests naturally counted for very little in Grange Lane. Indeed, it was very confidently reported that the rector had invited Mr. Tufton of Salem Chapel to meet the archdeacon, and that but for the dissenting minister having more sense in knowing his place, that unseemly conjunction would have taken place, to the horror of all right-thinking people. So that Dr. Marchbanks's was in reality the first house where he had any chance of seeing society in Carlingford. It would perhaps be using too strong a word to say that Miss Marchbanks was anxious about the success of her arrangements for this particular evening, but, at the same time, it must be admitted that the circumstances were such as to justify a little anxiety. Mr. Cavendish was gone, who, to do him justice, was always agreeable, and his departure disturbed the habitual party, and Mrs. Woodburn had lost all her powers, as it seemed, and sat at Dr. Marchbanks's left hand, looking just like other people, and evidently not to be in the least depended on. And Lucilla was aware that Barbara was not coming, which made, if nothing else, a change in the programme of the evening. No music, nobody to do the flirting, nor to supply the dramatic by-play to which Grange Lane had become accustomed, and a new man to be made use of, and, at the same time, to be pleased and fascinated, and made the instrument of fascinating others. A young woman of powers inferior to those of Miss Marchbanks would have sunk under such a weight of responsibility, and there was no doubt that Lucilla was a little excited. She felt that everything depended upon her courage and self-possession. If she but lost her head for a moment, and lost command of affairs, everything might have been lost. But then fortunately she knew herself and what she could do, and had a modest confidence that she would not lose her head. And thus she could still eat her dinner with the composure of genius, though it would be wrong to deny that Lucilla was a little pale. And then, as if all these things had not been enough to discourage the lady of the house, another discordant element was added by the presence of Mr. Bury and his sister, whom it had been necessary to ask to meet the archdeacon. The rector, though he was very low church, had no particular objections to a good dinner, but he had a way of sneering at the flesh, even while taking all due pains to nourish it, which roused Dr. Marchbanks's temper. Sometimes the doctor would launch a shaft of medical wit at his spiritual ruler, which Mr. Bury had no means of parrying. I have no doubt, Dr. Marchbanks would say, that an indigestion is an admirable way of mortifying the flesh, as our excellent rector says. Fasting was the suggestion of a barbarous age. It must have kept those anchorite fellows in an unchristian strength of stomach. And it's far more philosophical to punish the offending body, as Mr. Bury does, by means of made dishes and when he had thus disturbed his reverend guest's enjoyment, the doctor would go on with great relish with his dinner. This, however, was not the only danger to which the peace of the party was exposed, for the rector, at the same time, regarded Mr. Beverley with a certain critical suspiciousness, such as is seldom to be encountered except among clergymen. He did not know much about his clerical superior, who had only recently been appointed to his archdeaconry, 
but there was something in his air, his looks and demeanour, which indicated what Mr. Burry considered a loose way of thinking. When the archdeacon made any remark, the rector would pause and look up from his plate to listen to it, with his fork suspended in the air the while, and then he would exchange glances with his sister, who was on the other side of the table. All this, it may be supposed, was a little discomposing for Lucilla, who had the responsibility of everything, and could now look for no assistance among the ordinary members of her father's party, who were, as a general rule, much more occupied with the dinner than with anything else that was going on. In this state of affairs, Miss Marchbanks was very glad when the archdeacon, who occupied the post of honour by her side, made a lively new beginning in the conversation. It had not to call flagged before, not precisely flagged, but still there were indications of approaching exhaustion, such as can always be perceived half a mile off by anybody who has any experience in society. And when the archdeacon took up the ball, with all the liveliness of a man who is interested in a special question, it will not be difficult to any lady who has ever been in such circumstances to realize to herself Miss Marchbanks's sense of gratitude and relief. "'By the by,' said Mr. Beverley, "'I meant to ask if any one knew a man whom I'm sure I caught a glimpse of the first day I was in Carlingford. Perhaps it was in the morning after I arrived, to be precise. I can't recollect exactly. If he lives about here, he ought to be known, for he is a very clever, amusing sort of fellow.' "'I don't know if Carlingford is more blessed than other country towns with people of that complexion,' said the archdeacon, turning to Lucilla with a smile. He was in no hurry, though he was a little curious. The subject was not exciting to him, and to be sure, nothing could be further from his thoughts than that there was anybody at the table who might have turned sick with anxiety and suspense, and felt the pause he made a horrible kind of torture.' He paused and turned to Miss Marchbanks with the smile, which is a kind of challenge when it is addressed to a young lady, and meant to lead to a lively little combat, by the way. As for Lucilla, she was conscious of an immediate thrill of curiosity, but still it was curiosity unmingled with any excitement, and she had no particular objection to respond. "'Everybody is nice in Carlingford,' said Miss Marchbanks. "'Some people are always finding fault with their neighbours.' "'But I always get on so well with everybody. "'I suppose it is my luck,' said Lucilla, "'which, to be sure, was not precisely an answer to the archdeacon's question. "'And there was somebody at the table all the time "'who could have fallen upon her and beaten her for putting off the revelation "'which trembled on the lips of Mr. Beverley, "'and yet would have given anything in the world to silence the archdeacon, "'and felt capable of rushing at him like a fury and tearing his tongue out "'or suffocating him to stop the next words that he was going to say.' and yet the same inconsistent person was furious with Lucilla for postponing this utterance a little, and all the while, so absolute are the restraints of society, everybody at Dr. Marchbanks's table sat eating their dinner, one precisely like another, as if there had been no such thing as mystery or terror in the world. "'You must not expect me to believe in the perfection of human society,' said the archdeacon, going on in the same strain. I would much rather pin my faith on the amiable dispositions of one young lady who always finds her neighbours agreeable, and I hope she makes no exception to the rule, said the broad churchman, in a parenthesis, with a smile and a bow, and then he raised his voice a little. The man I speak of is really a very amusing fellow, you know, and very well got up, and calculated to impose upon ordinary observers. It is quite a curious story. He was the son of a trainer or something of that sort about Newmarket. Old Lord Monmouth took an extraordinary fancy to him, and had him constantly about his place, half brought him up, indeed, along with his grandson, you know. He always was a handsome fellow, and picked up a little polish, 
and really, for people not quite used to the real thing, was as nearly like a gentleman. Come now, I don't put any faith in that, said Mr. Woodburn. I don't pretend to be much of one for fine company myself, but I know a gentleman when I see him. A snob always overdoes it, you know. I never said this man was a snob, said the archdeacon, with a refined expression of disgust at the interruption flitting over his features. On the contrary, if he had only been honest, he would have been really a very nice fellow. My dear sir, said Mr. Bury, excuse me for breaking in. Perhaps I am old-fashioned, but don't you think it's a pity to treat the question of honesty so lightly? A dishonest person has a precious soul to be saved, and may be a most deeply interesting character. But to speak of him as a very nice fellow is, pardon me, I think it's a pity, especially in mixed society, where it is so important for a clergyman to be guarded in his expressions, said the rector. When Mr. Bury began to speak, everybody else at the table ceased talking, and gave serious attention to what was going on, for the prospect of a passage of arms between the two clergymen was an opportunity too captivating to be lost. I hope Mr. Bury's dishonest friends will pardon me, said the archdeacon. I mean no harm to their superior claims. Does anybody know the man here, I wonder? His name was Cavan, I think, or something like that, an Irish name. I assure you he was a very good-looking fellow, dark, good features, nearly six feet high. Oh, please don't say any more, said Miss Marchbanks, and she could not quite have explained why she interrupted these personal details. If you tell me what he is like, I shall fancy everybody I meet is him. Mr. Centum is dark and has good features, and is nearly six feet high. Never mind what he is like. You gentlemen can never describe anybody. You always keep to generals. Tell us what he has done. Somebody drew a long breath at the table when the archdeacon obeyed Miss Marchbanks's injunction. More than one person caught the sound, but even Lucilla's keen eyes could not make out beyond controversy from whom it proceeded. To be sure, Lucilla's mind was in a most curious state of tumult and confusion. She was not one of the people who take a long time to form their conclusions, but the natural conclusion to which she felt inclined to jump in this case was one so monstrous and incredible that Miss Marchbanks felt her only safeguard in the whirl of possibilities was to reject it altogether, and make up her mind that it was impossible. And then all the correspondences and apparent corroborations began to dance and whirl about her in a bewildering ring, till her own brain seemed to spin with them. She was as much afraid lest the archdeacon by some chance should fall upon a really individual feature which the world in general could identify, as if she had had any real concern in the matter. But then, fortunately, there was not much chance of that, for it was one of Lucilla's principles that men never can describe each other. She listened, however, with such a curious commotion in her mind that she did not quite make out what he was saying, and only pieced it up in little bits from memory afterwards. Not that it was a very dreadful story. It was not a narrative of robbery or murder or anything very alarming. But if it could, by any possibility, turn out that the man of whom Mr. Beverley was speaking had ever been received in society in Carlingford, then it would be a dreadful blow to the community, and destroy public confidence forever in the social leaders. This was what Lucilla was thinking in her sudden turmoil of amazement and apprehension. And then, all of this time, there was another person at table who knew all about it twenty times better than Lucilla, and knew what was coming and had a still more intense terror lest some personal detail might drop from the archdeacon's lips, which the public in general would recognize. Notwithstanding, Mr. Beverley went on quite composedly with his story, never dreaming for a moment that anybody was disturbed or excited by it. He has a mark on his face, the archdeacon said, 
but here miss marchbanks gave a little cry and held up both her hands in dismay don't tell us what marks he has on his face said lucilla i know that i shall think every man who is dark and has good features and is six feet must be him i wonder if it could be my cousin tom he has a little mark on his face and it would be just like his dreadful luck poor fellow would it be right to give up one's own cousin if it should turn out to be tom said miss marchbanks the people who were sitting at her end of the table laughed but there was no laughing in lucilla's mind and this fright and panic were poor preparatives for the evening which had to be got through creditably with so few resources and with such a total reversal of the ordinary programme miss marchbanks was still tingling with curiosity and alarm when she rose from the table if it should really come to pass that an adventurer had been received into the best society of carlingford and that the best judges had not been able to discriminate between the false and the true how could any one expect that grange lane would continue to confide its most important arrangements to such incompetent hands such was the dreadful question that occupied all lucilla's thoughts so far as the adventurer himself was concerned no doubt he deserved anything that might come upon him but the judgment which might overtake the careless shepherds who had admitted the wolf into the fold was much more in miss marchbanks's mind than any question of abstract justice so that it was not entirely with a philanthropical intention that she stopped mr beverley and put an end to his dangerous details now she came to think of it she began to remember that nobody of her acquaintance had any mark on his face but still it was best not to inquire too closely it was thus with a preoccupied mind that she went up to the drawing-room feeling less in spirits for her work than on any previous occasion it was the first of the unlucky nights which every woman of lucilla's large and public-spirited views must calculate upon as inevitable now and then there was no moon and the richmonds naturally were absent and so were the miss browns who were staying there on a visit for it was after the engagement between lydia and john and mr cavendish was away though perhaps under the circumstances that was no disadvantage and mrs woodburn was silenced and even barbara lake had failed her patroness you are not in spirits to-night lucilla my poor dear said mrs chiley as they went upstairs and the kind old lady cast a fierce glance at mrs woodburn who was going before them with miss bury as if it could be her fault dear mrs chiley said miss marchbanks i am in perfect spirits it is only the responsibility you know poor barbara is ill and we can't have any music and what if people should be bored when one has real friends to stand by one it is different said lucilla with an intonation that was not intended for mrs chiley and i always stand by my friends if she meant anything by what she said there was no time to enlarge upon it for they were just at the drawing-room door where all the heavy people were waiting to be amused mrs chiley held her young friend back for a moment with those unreasonable partisan ideas of hers which were so different from lucilla's broad and statesmanlike way of contemplating affairs i am glad that bold thing is not coming said the kind old lady she deserves to be ill lucilla but don't go and over-excite yourself my poor dear people must just amuse themselves in their own way they are very well off i am sure with this pretty room and a very nice cup of tea and each other's things to look at never mind the people but go and find a nice corner and have a chat with the archdeacon when he comes upstairs i am sure that is what he would like and you know he is the stranger and the person to be studied said the designing old woman as for lucilla she made no categorical response she only opened the door a little wider for mrs chiley's entrance and arranged the ribbons of the old lady's cap as she followed her into the room in a caressing way i dare say we shall do very well lucilla said feeling her courage rise within her in face of the emergency 
and thus she went her way into the gay mob who were waiting for her and who had not the least idea when miss marjoribanks made her appearance among them that she had anything on her mind but the first group that met lucilla's eye as she went into the drawing-room was one which made her start a little self-possessed as she was this group was composed of in the first place barbara lake in her crumpled white dress which she had not had any heart to think of and which was just as she had taken it off last thursday evening barbara herself showed to as little advantage as her dress did there was no expectation about her to brighten her up her heavy black eyebrows lowered like a dead line of resistance and defiance and her eyes gleamed underneath sullenly oblique and dangerous her hair was hastily arranged her complexion muddy and sombre her eyelids red it was as easy to see that she had been crying and that disappointment and spite and vexation had had the greatest share in her tears as if all the party had been admitted to the little house in grove street and had heard the tempest going on though she had made up her mind that she was unable to go when her going was merely a necessary loyalty to lucilla the fact that rose had been invited acted with a wonderfully stimulating effect upon her sister then she began to think that perhaps after all he might have come back and that to be out of the way and leave the field clear to lucilla was all that her enemies wanted for poor barbara could not think but she must have enemies and the mere idea that rose was asked roused her of itself i don't know what she could mean by asking you unless it was to spite me said the sullen contralto oh yes i dare say she will be very glad to get rid of me but i'll go to spite her barbara cried with a flash from under her lowering brows and it was this amiable motive which had brought her out she thought if by any chance mr cavendish might happen to be there that the sight of her all crumpled and suffering would be eloquent to his heart for the poor girl's knowledge of the world and the gentleman was naturally very small thus she made her appearance with her disappointment and rage and vexation written on her face to serve as a beacon to all the young women of carlingford and show them the necessity of concealing their feelings mrs chiley who felt that barbara deserved it and was resolved not to pity her seized the opportunity and delivered quite a little lecture to a group of girls on the subject of the forsaken a disappointment may happen to any young person mrs chiley said and so long as it is not their fault nobody could blame them but my dears whatever you do don't show it like that it makes me ashamed for my sex and only look at lucilla said the old lady who to tell the truth instead of looking ashamed looked triumphant and to be sure miss marjoribanks had regained all her pristine energy and looked entirely like herself what was still more extraordinary however was that mrs woodburn had quite emerged from her momentary quietude and was in a corner as usual with a group of people round her from whom stifled bursts of laughter were audible i am frightened out of my life when i see that woman said one of the grange lane ladies who was the very impersonation of commonplace and utterly unworthy of the mimic smile she is taking some of us off at this moment i am quite sure my dear she is very amusing said mrs chiley drawing her lace shawl round her shoulders with that little jerk which mrs woodburn executed to perfection i am quite easy in my mind for my part there can't be much to take off in an old woman that is old enough to be all your grandmothers and i am quite pleased for lucilla's sake and then it is true the girls laughed and tried hard to hide that they were laughing for they had all heard mrs woodburn give that very speech with inimitable success but it was in reality the archdeacon of whom the mimic was giving a private rehearsal at that moment she was doing it with a little exaggeration and colouring strongly which perhaps was owing to an imperfect acquaintance with the subject and perhaps to the little excitement which accompanied the throwing off of the cloud 
which had enveloped her. To be sure, nobody knew why she should have been under a cloud, for married sisters don't generally lose their spirits in consequence of a brother's temporary absence. But still, the general eye perceived the change. Now you will look a little like yourself again, some one said to her. You might have been out of town, like Mr. Cavendish, for anything one has heard of you for a week past. I have been studying very closely, Mrs. Woodburn said. It is so important to get the keynote. And this was how, more than by anything he said or did himself, that Mr. Beverley's ways of expressing himself became familiar to the mind of Grange Lane. All this time, little Rose Lake had been standing by the table near her sister, not feeling very comfortable if the truth must be told. Rose had been obliged to solve the important question of what she was to put on by the simple, but not quite satisfactory, expedient of wearing what she had, as so many people have to do. And her dress was, to say the least, rather a marked contrast to the other dresses round her, for when one is an artist and belongs to a family of artists, one is perhaps tempted to carry one's ideas of what is abstractly graceful even into the sacred conventionalities of personal attire, and it is sad to be obliged to confess that the success is generally much less apparent than one might have expected it to be, as many an unfortunate painter's wife has found out to her cost. Among all the Grange Lane girls, there was not one who could have looked, as Miss Marchbanks herself said, nicer than Rose if she had been dressed like other people. To be sure, there were several handsomer, such as Barbara, for instance, who possessed a kind of beauty, but who was as far from being nice as can be conceived. But then what can be done with a girl who goes out for the evening in a black dress trimmed with red, and made with quaint little slashings at the shoulders and round the waist of an architectural character? Rose's opinions in respect to effective ornamentation were, as has been said, very strongly marked for so young a person, and though she was perfectly neat, and not a crumple about her, still it must be confessed that her costume altogether suggested, even to Lucilla, who was not imaginative, one of the carnival demons that she had seen in Italy. When she went up to her young visitor, veiling her altogether for the moment in her own clouds of white, Miss Marchbanks made a furtive attempt to put some of the tags out of the way, but this was an impracticable effort. It was so nice of you to come on such short notice, Lucilla said, putting her hand affectionately on Rose's shoulder, but her eyes would wander while she was speaking from her little schoolfellow's face to her dreadful trimmings, and I am so glad to see Barbara is better, but you shan't be troubled to-night, for we are not going to have any music. I am sure you are not able to sing, said Miss Marchbanks, addressing the elder sister, and all this time she was insidiously fingering Rose's tags, which were far too firmly secured to yield to any such legerdemain. And then, as was natural, Lucilla had to go away and attend to her other guests, and the other people in the room were too busy with their own talks and friends to pay any attention to Rose, even had she not been sister to Barbara, whom nobody felt disposed to notice. Rose had brought a large portfolio with her, containing not only the design in which her own genius was launching forth, but also some drawings which the little artist set much less store by, and one surreptitious sketch, which was by Willie, who had not yet made a name. She thought in her innocence, poor child, as is natural to youthful professors of art or literature, that such matters formed the staple of conversation in polite society, and that everybody would be pleased and proud to have heard of and seen, just before his debut, the works of the coming man. I have brought some drawings, she said to Lucilla, putting her hand upon the portfolio, and Lucilla had said, You dear little Rose, how nice of you! But that was all that had as yet passed on the subject. 
Miss Marchbanks regarded with eyes of painful interest the young Pre-Raphaelite's tags, but she paid no regard to the portfolio, and never even asked to see its contents. Rose, to be sure, might have sat down had she pleased, but she preferred to keep her place standing by her sister's side, with her hand upon the portfolio, listening to all the people talking. It was rather a disenchanting process. All of them might have seen the portfolio had they liked, and yet they went on talking about the most unimportant matters, where they were going, and what they were to wear, and what new amusements or occupations had been planned for the morrow, which two words indeed seemed to mean the same thing according to Carlingford young ladies. As Rose Lake stood and listened, a few of her childish illusions began to leave her. In the first place, nobody said a syllable either about art, literature, or even music, which gave the lie to all her previous conceptions of conversation among educated people. And then it began slowly to dawn upon Rose that a life like her own, full of work and occupation, which she had been used up to this moment to think a very good life, and quite refined and dignified in comparison with most of the lives she knew of, was in reality a very shabby and poor existence, of which a young woman ought to be ashamed when she came into society in Grange Lane. When this discovery began to dawn upon the little artist, it made her very hot and uncomfortable for the first moment, as may be supposed. She who had thought of the female school of design as of a career, and considered herself a little in the light of one of the pioneers of society and benefactors of her kind, but in Miss Marchbanks's drawing-room, the career seemed to change its character, and then Rose began to think that now she understood Barbara. It was, on the whole, a painful little bit of experience, and the more humbled she felt in herself, the more did her little heart swell within her, with the innocent pride grown bitter, and the happy contemplation of her scruples turned into a combative self-assertion, which is not an uncommon process with people who have cherished ideas about the rank of artists. The world did not care in the least for her being an artist, except perhaps in so far as that fact gave a still more absurd explanation to her absurd dress. And then she had never been to a ball, and was not going to any ball, nor to the picnic on Saturday, nor to Mrs. Sentum's on Monday, nor to ride, nor to drive, nor to do anything that all these young people were doing. And naturally, the sensation produced was not a very agreeable one, for to be sure, she was only seventeen and it went to her heart to be so altogether out of accord with everything she heard of in this new world. Thus she stood, losing more and more the easy grace of her first attitude, and getting morose and stiff and constrained, with a sense of being absurd. This, perhaps, was why Barbara had always stopped her when she began to speak of their rank as artists. Barbara had been more far-sighted than herself, and had but followed the lead of the world. This was the lesson Rose was learning as she stood up at the end of the room, clearly marked out in her black and red dress against the background and entourage of white-robed angels. It had been Barbara that knew best. It was a lesson a little sharp, but still it was one which everybody in her position has to find out, and which it was very well for her to learn. And it was just at this time that the gentlemen came up from the dining-room. As for Barbara, she roused up a little from her sullen silence, and turned an eager look to the door, with a lingering, desperate idea that, after all, he might be there, which was an act which shocked her sister. "'If you would only have a proper pride,' the impatient little mentor whispered, but Barbara only heaved up her plump round shoulders and jerked her ear away. So far from having proper pride, she rather wanted to show all the Grange Lane people that she was looking for him, that she was suffering from his loss, and had hopes of his return, and came not for them or for Lucilla, but on his account. 
for Barbara had no dreams of any possible good to be got out of papa's being appreciated or Willie making a name, and even to be the deserted of Mr. Cavendish was a more flattering distinction than to be simply the drawing-master's daughter. But, of course, there was no Mr. Cavendish there, and to tell the truth, his absence made itself most distinctly felt at that critical moment. Then, for the first time, the ordinary public found out how he had bridged over the chasm between the dinner-party, who were very satisfied and blasé, and wanted repose, and the evening people, who were all quite fresh and looked for amusement. The public, with its usual dullness of perception, had ignored this, though Miss Marchbanks had known it from the very beginning, and now there was nobody to take this delicate office. The result was that the gentlemen were just falling into that terrible black knot all by themselves about the door, and betaking themselves to the subjects which were, as Lucilla justly remarked, on a level with their capacities, when Miss Marchbanks felt that the moment had arrived for decisive action. The archdeacon, to do him justice, had made a little effort to enter into general society, for he was still young enough, as Mrs. Chiley said, to think it worth his while to take in the younger and prettier section of the community into the circle of his sympathies. But it was here that the limited range of a churchman became apparent in comparison with the broad and Catholic tendencies of a man of the world like Mr. Cavendish. A well-brought-up young woman in general society cannot be expected on the spot to bring forward her theological doubts or speculations for immediate solution, and that was the only kind of flirtation which Mr. Beverley was properly up to. He made one or two attempts, but without great success, and then the archdeacon began to veer slowly downward into the midst of the circle of black coats which was slowly consolidating, and which was the object of Miss Marchbanks's special terror. And this being the case, Lucilla felt that no time was to be lost. Though she had taken no notice of the portfolio, and to tell the truth did not care in the least about its contents, she had no more forgotten that it was there than she forgot any other instrument which could be put to use. When it was evident that nothing else was to be done, Miss Marchbanks called the archdeacon to her to the other end of the room. "'I want to show you something,' said Lucilla. "'I am quite sure you know about art. Do come and look at Miss Lake's drawings. They are charming.' This is Mr. Beverley, Rose, and you must let him see what you have got in the portfolio. He is quite a judge, you know, and she is a little genius, said Lucilla. This speech awoke a little flutter of amazement and consternation in the assembly. But Miss Marchbanks knew what she was about. She opened up the portfolio with her own hands, and brought forth the drawing which was Willie's drawing, and which, to be sure, Lucilla knew nothing about. It was my luck, you know, as she said afterwards, for Willie's drawing was wonderfully clever, and quite in Mr. Beverley's way and then everybody got up to look at it, and made a circle round the archdeacon, and the broad churchman, who had at bottom no objection to be mobbed and surrounded by a party of ladies, exerted himself accordingly, and opened up to such an extent that the whole room thrilled with interest. Thus Lucilla's look, as she modestly called it, or rather her genius, triumphed once more over the novel combination which had perplexed her for the first moment. She drew a little apart, well pleased, and looked on with that sense of success and administrative power which is one of the highest mental enjoyments. She contemplated the grouping affectionately, and felt in her own soul the reassuring and delicious consciousness, that having mastered such a difficulty as this, she might go on with renewed confidence in her own powers. And it was this soothing and at the same time exhilarating sentiment, which was interrupted by the somewhat impatient gestures of Mrs. Chiley, who at this moment caught Lucilla's dress, and drew her to her side, "'My dear,' said the old lady hastily, "'this will never do. "'It is all very well to sacrifice yourself, "'but you can't expect me to approve of it "'when you carry it so far. 
Go and talk to him yourself, Lucilla. What was the good of bringing him here and making a fuss about him all for that? And you will see that other fantastic little creature will be just as nasty as her sister, said Mrs. Chiley, who was so much excited that she could scarcely restrain herself from speaking out loud. But Lucilla only smiled like an angel upon her excited friend. Dear Mrs. Chiley, she said in a seraphic way, the lady of the house must always think of her guests first, and you know that the object of my life is to be a comfort to dear papa. Thus that evening came to a climax of success and satisfaction, so far as Miss Marchbanks was personally concerned, but it will be necessary to turn over another leaf before describing the very different sentiments of Little Rose Lake at the same crisis, for of course no great work was ever achieved without the sacrifice of a certain number of instruments, and the young Pre-Raphaelite was at this moment no better than a graphic little pencil in the greater artist's hand. End of chapter 18 Recorded by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, May 2010